Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is my co-host, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. It's good to finally see you, Matthew. We've been not able to meet for a while, so uh, it's good to be back in, in the seat and talk about the Bible. This about is true. Theology. As always, we want to remind you, if you like a podcast, to subscribe on whatever service you listen to, and uh, make sure you rate our podcast, five-star ratings only. If your podcast uh, app allows you to rate them, please rate us. Enough of that. We're the podcast that doesn't like banter, so... (laughs) Without further ado, we'd like to introduce our other guest. Uh, Lee Jones is with us today. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Lee. Um, Lee is the host of Reformed Meditations. Used to be guys with the Bible, guys with Bibles. That's right. uh, But he lost the guys, (laughs) and he is now just one dude with the Bible. That's right. Known as Reformed Meditations. That's a good podcast to listen to as well as ours. Of course, listen to ours first, yeah. but uh, then then you can listen to Lee. Yeah, on you have his to have priorities. Yeah. So, uh, Lee is with us today to talk about the law and the Christian life. Some may scoff at that at the very beginning, uh, because there's passages in the Bible and Romans that says things about us not being under the law, but under grace. So, Lee, why don't you help us start thinking about the law and the Christian life? By Why would we even talk about this, since it seems, at least on the surface, contrary to what Romans tells us? Well, we would, we would consider the law because the law has been given by God, and so it's important, it's part of his word, uh, it's part of his intention for his people and their life, and so we should take it seriously. But in taking it seriously, uh, we have to understand how it fits in with the rest of the Christian life as well. So the law is really important, but especially um, for Reformed folks, we are people of the law-gospel distinction as well. So we don't turn the law into the gospel. We don't turn the gospel into law. They have to be distinct, but they're both crucial to to the life of the Christian. So under law makes it sound as if we're being... We're prisoners of the law, or being held back by the law, but that's not the case at all. And usually, the understanding of under the law, from what I understand, is that it's law as a covenant. Mm-hmm. In other words, do this and you will live. Mm-hmm. We, of course, would agree that the law as a covenant is no longer in effect. There's right. other ways that the law is not in effect for Christians, but one of the chief ways is that it's as a covenant. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer, if you do these things, then you'll live. It's, you live, so do this. So things have been turned around by Christ and and the grace that he gives. So another aspect that has to do with that is the role of the Holy Spirit, because in Galatians, it seems to indicate that the Spirit in the New Testament times takes the place of the law and uh, now for mm-hmm. Christians. That's just an, another way of saying maybe we're, we're on the wrong path even talking about the law for Christians because 
aren't we supposed to follow the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit? I don't know if you have any well, thoughts on that, but... Kind of to get into that a little bit, you know, so part of it has to do with defining the law. So, you know, we're, we're speaking about moral law here. Right. And moral law is the perfect description of the righteous character of God. And so the Holy Spirit is God, you know, of, of one essence with the Father and the Son. And so the, the Holy Spirit isn't going to deny the law. Like, the Holy Spirit is not going to act differently from, from his nature. Right, because the point you're making is that the law is just a reflection, a description mm-hmm. is the word you use, a description of God's righteousness mm-hmm. and yeah. what it means to be righteous. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it can't go away. It can't be changed because... Because God doesn't change and God, God doesn't, doesn't go change. away. God doesn't go away. So yeah. the law has to have some kind of effect. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, that, that, that's, that's exactly the point, uh, right. is, is that you know, the moral law stands there as a, as a reflection of God's righteous, eternally righteous character. Right. And, and so the Holy Spirit is going to, going to prompt us in accordance with that law. And I think prompting is a good word to use, because for me, the way I look at it, the Word and Spirit, I believe, according to the Bible, that the Word and Spirit always work together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know... I agree. The law is the is the Word of God, and it's valuable. Second Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture mm-hmm. is profitable for doctrine, teaching, reproof, and so on and so forth. So... The Spirit uses the law. The law's outside of us. The Spirit's inside of us. Mm-hmm. So the law outside of us has an effect, but the Spirit inside of us as well has an effect. They work in concert. They're not against each other. Yeah. And e- even if you look in Galatians, when it talks about the works of the flesh, those things, you can almost categorize all of those under the, the second table of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. The commandments about loving your neighbor. You can categorize almost all those fleshly things under there. So uh, it seems to me that the Spirit is working in concert with God's law, not against it. Right. It's right. Not, they're not opposed to one another. Right. So, and, and not from a place of condemnation either. Like when right. we're reminded of our sins, but not hopelessly as well. Because <laughs> for those of us who, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, our, our Christians have been regenerated you know, there's no condemnation for us. So this use of the law, this prompting by the Spirit, reminding us of God's righteous character as described in the law, is is meant to show us our sin and point us to Christ. It's never out of a hopeless thing, out of a right. condemnation. And the, that that's another aspect in which we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under its condemnation. Mm-hmm. We're not under it as a covenant. We're not under it as in our uh, as a condemning thing anymore in christ you can't be condemned right right (laughs) if you're truly a believer there's no condemnation for you i've I've heard it like the a description of it you know as we we have seen the law under under as a covenant but now it stands as a standard uh where where we're seeing the righteous character of god and we can see where we fall short of that and that's what drives us to christ who has fulfilled all the law for us and, and paid the penalties for the breaking of the law. And, and so now it stands, it, it, it's there for us as a standard against which to compare ourselves 
and and helps us in certain ways, which I don't want to yeah. I don't want to get too ahead. But we'll, right, and we'll get into that more and probably talk more about the role of the Spirit in that in a little yeah. bit. So you mentioned defining the law, and we really haven't done that other than to say just got too excited. <laughs> <laughs> other than to say the law is a a description of the righteous character of God, right? So how what else can we say about about what is the law that we're referring to? Yeah, well, I kind of the two two big distinctions that I think are have been very helpful for me in in studying about the law and studying the law itself has been the distinction between moral law and positive law. So we've already been speaking about moral law as in not not only, you know, these are these are laws that are inscribed on our hearts like as Romans 2 says that even Gentiles who don't have the law uh act according to their nature to and do what the law requires you know right. so the, the second table as you were saying you know the how we how we treat other people um you know the do not murder do not steal like those are kind of universally accepted as right. as uh, good prohibitions um, <laughs> i would like to go on record and say those are good prohibitions <laughs> and uh so so those are those are examples of moral law but then there's also positive law as well and this helps us distinguish uh, what endures and what's been abrogated is another big word in in Christ. So positive laws are are commands that have been posited or been asserted by God in Scripture, and these would be laws that wouldn't necessarily occur to us had they not been given. And so those normally go with a covenant, right? So there were positive laws associated with um, the covenant of works in the garden, uh, where Adam wouldn't have known not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if God hadn't said not to eat right. of it. Uh, and there are, other, there are other kinds of positive laws throughout Scripture. Um, right, and the key difference is the moral law is the law that stands forever mm-hmm. and never changes. It cannot change because it's based on God's holy character. Right. So that law cannot change, but positive law is is different. Mm-hmm. It can pass away. It, it, right. It's an... If, it's a positive law if it's intended to pass away good, or, or be fulfilled. And they work together. A good example is the speed limit. The speed limit, the moral law that it's based on is uh, you shall not murder, mm-hmm. right? So in order to ensure that people aren't killed by people going too fast, we set a speed limit. But yeah. the exact speed mm-hmm. is up to wisdom uh, or the best understanding mm-hmm. in those circumstances. Yeah. So speeding is a positive law. It's not. There's not something inherently good about going 35 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> if they changed it to 40... Which happens. Yeah, if they changed it to 40, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. Like Indiana, I know, in Ohio, it goes from... 55 to 35 when you're in town, and then 25. But in Indiana, they slow it down a little bit. You go 55 to 45, and then 30, and then 20. Yeah. So Because that's what that state has agreed to do. Right, and it, it's not like... We say so, basically. Uh, Indiana is... Um, undermining the moral law of God by having different... This is... It's a positive law. Right. For there to be different 
things and different circumstances. Yeah. And they're good uh, examples from Scripture, too, of positive laws in the old, within the Mosaic Covenant that apply moral law, but they're applying it in a way that is is positive, is posited only for people in that Old Testament community, right? and then are meant to pass away, be fulfilled in Christ, ideally, right? Um, is, is how we would say it. And so then believers today, the duty for believers as Christians now, is to obey the New Testament positive laws and the moral law of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes it's difficult to find out, you know, (laughs) is this something that endures or not? And we have arguments about that. The Sabbath law is the one that everybody seems to argue (laughs) about, and (laughs) we're not going to settle that today. But... Sometimes it's tricky. We don't want to make it sound easy. But what we're saying to define the law is that we, it's the moral law of God and the positive Mm -hmm. laws that he has instituted Mm -hmm. in this New Testament period that we're required to obey. Yeah. And and I think the Bible has done, the Bible is excellent at at kind of summarizing that moral law and and giving it to us in a way that, that is easy to understand, easier to understand it and apply than, right. than the positive laws. And, and the that brings us to where do we find the law summarized? Mm-hmm. Um, there's several places, but the chief place is in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, definitely. Traditionally, confessionally, the Ten Commandments are the place to go to find the moral law of God. Mm-hmm. Um the summary of the moral law. And it's important to say it's the summary because Ten Commandments aren't all that there is to it. It's not... And this is the problem the Pharisees had, right? This is what Jesus was correcting on the Sermon on the Mount. They thought if they didn't literally kill anyone, (laughs) then they they had obeyed the law. But that's just a summary of the moral law. Mm -hmm. So the... The moral law is deeper than just a surface level uh, obedience. Um, anyway, so, and then of course it's summarized elsewhere in the New Testament as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, mm-hmm. and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul in Romans says, love is the <laughs> summary of the law. Uh, so you could say love to God and love to neighbor is the. Summary of the moral law of God. Crystal clear summary. Like there's no ambiguity there. (laughs) Like it's crystal clear. Yeah. So we're mainly when we're we're talking about the law and the life of a Christian, we're really talking about the Ten Commandments Mm -hmm. primarily. And, And that's why I would say most of our historical catechisms in the church have have at least some length of a section regarding each of the Ten Commandments as well. So teaching your children the Ten Commandments has been huge for for informing them uh, about the Christian life and and building them up in the faith. And another aspect of the Ten Commandments, that there's several rules. I, I don't remember all of them, and I don't have time to go through all of them, but for example, one of the rules uh, with the Ten Commandments is if it forbids something, then it's encouraging the opposite. Mm. So when the Bible says you shall not murder, mm-hmm. the opposite is you should preserve life. Yeah. So what what you find in the confessions, I mean, there's 
there's length the catechisms. Mm-hmm. There's a lengthy list of what it means to mm-hmm. violate this, what it means to obey it. Yeah. Uh, there's there's in the larger catechism. There's like three different <laughs> sections, and they just lists of sins. Yeah, and it's because they're thinking more broadly than just literally in black and white what it says. Yeah. And one way they're thinking about it is the positive is also encouraged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you have to expand on the summary of the law. Right. Like you you have to not only, you know, it's given as thou shalt nots, but but we have to in, in being faithful to uh not only that summary of the law, but but the entire counsel of God. Uh, so being consistent with the entire counsel of God, we can extrapolate out of that law not only the thou shalt nots, but thou shalts right. as well. And that that would be a good discussion to have another mm-hmm. time is to discuss those yeah, be fun. Uh, different rules for understanding the Ten Commandments in that way. Um, but we're going to move on to... let. So traditionally, at least for Protestants, there have been three uses of God's law. <laughs> for some Protestants, I for guess. For some Protestants. <laughs> Anyway, there's been three uses of God's law, depending on which sort of Protestant you are. uh, There's (laughs) different emphases on the uses, right? There you go. But um, the basic uses, for the most part, seem to be agreed on. (laughs) So let's talk about the first use of the law. Calvin says it's like a mirror Mm -hmm. where you see your true self in it. It reveals sin, like Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in the sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul later says in Romans 7.7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. So, Purpose of the law, one purpose of the law, one use of the law, is to reveal sin, and it's very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if it's... you read it at more than the surface level, right? Because I find you know people read it at a surface level, pat themselves on the back, say I'm doing pretty yeah. good, uh, but <laughs> which is a Pharisaical reading of it. right? Like you, you're going by the letter of the law, not the yeah. spirit of the law. Right. Which is why you generally have to point out what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount to say, so you've never lusted after a woman in your heart, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it's deeper than just yeah. you shall not commit adultery. So it's a mirror where we see our true selves. This is sometimes called the evangelical use, because mm-hmm. before you're a Christian, the law works in this way, right? Mm-hmm. It, it reveals that you're a sinner yeah. and your desperate need for Christ. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's and it, it's as a sinner, it's, as someone who's not a Christian, uh, it it certainly does stand that way and and speaks against you. You know, you are under the covenant of works at that time. You're not you're not in the new covenant, so you are you're condemned. Righteous, there's a righteous condemnation against you because you have violated this law. Uh, and 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 you uh, you stand to pay for your own sins at that at that point, which is a very scary place to be. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yes. Yeah, no. yeah. He he wasn't downplaying anything there. <laughs> Edwards yes. wasn't. Um, 
but but it, you know it does change so you know talking about it as a mirror uh in in pointing out our sin in us that that use of the law does change uh when we're in christ because that right. condemnation has been taken away but it, but it doesn't go away we it's still useful it's still useful right because even as christians we're still sinners <laughs> right we're not sinless perfectionists yeah you know. and so we need we need the rebukes of the law mm-hmm. not to condemn us but to turn us to Christ for forgiveness again yeah. and again yeah yeah for sure we we definitely do i know i do i'm not alone but do you matthew yes <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure <laughs> I thought maybe Matthew had arrived, but apparently not. No, not. No, no Wesley over here. <laughs> and it's not a legalistic use either, where we're trying to, it, it, by using the law to kind of excavate in our hearts uh, and see the depths of our sin, we're not earning something as well uh, by doing that. You know, we, we're still relying on Christ the same uh, as since the moment we first believed, but. Um, for the use of, uh, well, for our sanctification, even uh, continuing to to examine ourselves, see our sin, and uh, and repent and, and return to Christ always um, is a very powerful use. And I I think it also it's it's good, it's helpful too, because we want to avoid legalism as saying, you know, you earn. God's favor by being righteous, but we also want to avoid legalistic motivations, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to be motivated by, I better do this or God's going to get me, (laughs) right? But the law, this use of the law, the mirror, helps you because it shows you you're a sinner, and it it turns you to Christ and causes your gratitude to increase Mm -hmm. because you see the condemnation you were under if you if you it wasn't for Christ and fills your heart with gratitude, so then your obedience comes not because you're afraid God's going to get you if you don't do it, but because you love Christ for all that He's done and all He's forgiven. Yeah. You see yourself in the mirror and say, "Thank God <laughs> that He has saved me from that," mm-hmm. and that that is what that should ultimately be our motivation yeah. for obedience. And thus the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Right. right. And not not even, I mean, it's not wrong to think of your reward in heaven. That's not right. wrong to think that way. Right. But is that, It's one of his promises. Right. We, we, we can remind ourselves of his promises. That's good. But it's a better motivation mm-hmm. to do it out of love for Christ for all that he's done. And the yeah. law helps us in that way. Yeah, when it strips us naked and shows us all of our sin and mm-hmm. what we are, and at the same time, mirror. again shows us that perfect righteousness of God that it that it that describes right. as well. It shows just how far apart we are in our own nature compared to Him, and and then shows how far across He has reached to bring us to Himself. All right, you ready for the next one? Let's go. Um, we're not going in the proper order. <laughs> um, Normally, the one we have last would be the second use of the law, but <laughs> we're going to skip that till the end. So the next use of the law is a guide. Now, Calvin calls it a whip, but I think that's overly harsh because it's a Christian that we're talking about. Yeah. I don't think God treats his children that harshly. 
So I, I call it a guide. Um, and the idea of the law here is that it instructs, instructs us in what righteousness is. Mm-hmm. We continue, to, even as believers, to need that instruction. Yeah. Um, it also encourages rightness, mm-hmm. righteousness because it sets shows us the standard like mm-hmm. you were talking about early. And it urges us on the spirit in us urges us onward to that standard. Yeah. And so the law as a guide does those mm-hmm. things in our Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. One of the many gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to us is he guides us into into all truth. And and so he can he certainly can do that using the law, and I think he does that often. Um and it's and it's for that for that purpose as well. To uh um to to show us to teach us, I think. I think the teaching aspect of this is is really important to to teach us how to live righteously. Um, and as we are being more and more conformed to the image of Christ, how better uh, to how better to do that than to to see His nature reflected in the law as we meditate on the law um, and, and on the gospel as well. Right. This is we we still are law gospel distinction, folks. Right. But we see Christ in both, not not one versus the other. Right. We just is, happen to be concentrating on the law today. Right. Right. Yeah. So, anything else about the law being our guide? So, uh, this I think this is like this is normally the the controversial one, <clears throat> the controversial use in in my discussions with other people, because I right. I think that that other Christians you know, feel that there's a risk of, of letting go of the gospel if we use the the law as a guide, almost as right. if we should be broken down by the law and built up by the gospel. But I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's that uh, clear between, <laughs> between the two, because the, the gospel also has, has difficulties to it. Right. And, but and difficult teachings to us. I, I do think, in the respect that you're talking about, this is probably the most controversial one because most are in agreement about the first use of the yeah. law. Uh, it's a this one is really the issue. It is the law. Does the law still guide us in our Christian life? Because of the things we mentioned before, mm-hmm. we're not we're under grace, not law. We're under we're to follow the Spirit, yeah. not the law. Um, <clears throat> those kind of things in Scripture, and we already we already discussed that. We don't need to rehash what we already said, but it seems to me that what happens is a change of heart in the Christian towards the law. Mm-hmm. So that where before we were Christians, the law was a terror mm-hmm. or something we'd use to pat ourselves on the back saying we're right. good, which is even even a worse predicament to be in to, mm-hmm. than to be afraid. But now... That duty has been turned into delight by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, mm-hmm. and, and you, the law. And remember, the what we're using as our definition of law is the moral law of God is summarized in the Ten Commandments. The law is now our delight, and you see, Paul in Romans, after he said we're not under law but we're under grace, you see him in Romans thirteen talking about our duty to love, and he's saying that's a summary, and he quotes a couple of the commandments of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So you you still see that, and James, James talks about the perfect law of liberty, and in doing that, he quotes two of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so 
you see that even in in the New Testament, the law is still relevant to Christian. It's still it's still showing us what our duty is mm-hmm. to God. But now we've been changed, and we have a delight in it. Yeah. So now, as duty we, isn't always drudgery, right? So now we can sing with all our heart, Psalm nineteen and Psalm mm-hmm. one nineteen, and and the other places in the Psalms where God's law is praised. Yeah. We can sing that with delight, and that's why the psalmist could sing with delight, right. because he was converted, and he he found joy in obedience to the Lord and to the law. It's no more it's no more a terror to him, mm-hmm. because he knows his forgiveness is available through Christ. So yeah, that's the classic argument for the use of the law as as a guide, as a teacher, right. So we like classic arguments, right, Matthew? Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> the classical or the better. That's right. <laughs> so then <clears throat> um, the final one, the final use of the law is Calvin calls it a bridle. It's to restrain evil. Uh, and this is the civil use of the law. In some sense, this is more controversial than the other yeah, one. Yeah, it's it's become more controversial, I think, uh, in recent years yeah. uh, with, with certain different movements within the Reformed world. Yes, but, after, after COVID yeah. and the restrictions and uh, loss of some of our freedoms or the threat of that mm-hmm. loss, mm-hmm. Um, people, Christians, have been rethinking the role of the law in the civil government. Yeah. Um, we're not going to deal with all of that today. <laughs> How <but> could we? <laughs> We've all been talking about it for two years now. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't solve it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> now, we, we hold to the traditional Reformed view. Um, we're not theonomists. Right. Uh, so what that means is... Do you want to explain what that means? Yeah. Um, I can, but, you know, you traveled all this way. You it. might as well tell us. <laughs> well, the, the, issue, the issue at hand regarding theonomy is that uh, theonomy will take um, basically the entirety of Old Testament law and apply it to today and, and put an onus on, on the civil authority to, uh, to legislate the entirety of, of Old Testament law including both moral and positive laws that were according to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, because, and then their argument would be that they're, it's all moral law. Yeah, they, um, deny the, they deny that the there is law. Yeah, and so, so that's, that's where we differ from them regarding that. But, so there is, a, it, it's important for um, the moral law, especially that second table, um, to be uh, at the heart of, of civil law. Right. Um, so the speed limit example that you gave earlier, Jeremy, is a great example of the of the civil authority of, of the state acting out the moral law, not to not to murder. You're right, not not to cause harm. You know, it's a, it's a it's an application of that. So uh, in in or, ordaining speed limits, uh, the civil authority uh, is is uh, legislating <laughs> is bringing the moral law into their legislation. Uh, right. Theonomists would would say that the 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 civil authority must go much further than that, even so much as to like um, I, I've heard arguments that the 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 rule about putting the um, the railing on your roof 
should be part of our building code, <laughs> even though none of us are ever on our on our roofs. And if we are, uh, we want to be up there as short as possible. <laughs> I do not like roof work in any way whatsoever. So that I I think that law is very uh, um, I, irrelevant to me. I think the uh, the other key difference is uh, at least with traditional confessionally reformed people. Although our Scott Clark would say we're not reformed because we're Baptists, but we'll leave that aside. Um, Who's he? (laughs) (laughs) The other difference is that we would say that they're not necessarily getting the laws from the Bible uh, Mm. because the law of God is revealed in our hearts and in nature as well. Uh, Even people who have never cracked open a Bible know that it's wrong to murder someone, it's wrong to steal. And they they may murder someone else, they may steal, but mm-hmm. if you murder them or murder someone they love or steal from them, they're going to get angry right. and say that's not right. right. They've been raising families with a father and a mother for a very long time as well. There, there's another commandment in there. Even though the commandment is for children, but the picture of the family is also part of the moral law. Right. So these we we believe that... The government should be governing based on God's moral law, especially found in nature. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the law in Scripture has no bearing whatsoever. Right. Um, and and right. another thing to say is that we believe the natural law and the moral law are the same law. No, they're the same. They're not two they're different identical. laws. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I would I would not deny that category of natural law. Right. I know so, there are some that do, but I just want to be plain. I I do not deny that category. <laughs> but so ultimately, even though we disagree with theonomy, we think they probably go too far. Yeah. Um, we're still in agreement that God's mm-hmm. law ought to be enforced Absolutely. at least the second table. Yeah. Now it gets right. when we're talking about the first table when it has commandments have to do with God, mm-hmm. uh, there yeah. would be questions. But we do agree yeah. that um, it is necessary to use God's law to restrain mm-hmm. sin civically. Yeah. We're all under that. Yeah. We're all under that law. Believe and, that, and that's the duty of anyone who's in authority. They're right. there to that's their responsibility abide by those God. laws. And if they right. do not, they face the yeah. judgment of and God. God has invested them with that authority right. to do that very purpose. Right. Yeah. All right, so anything that we need to clear up? You need to correct us, Matthew? No, I don't You're think so. You're the official <laughs> corrector of the show. I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, why don't you wrap us up and uh, okay. we'll be done. All right. So as we can, as we come to a conclusion, ultimately what we want, what the law's purpose is, is as we talked about earlier, the purpose of the law is to drive us to Christ. So allow the law to drive you to Christ so that it accomplishes its purpose in your life because ultimately your heart's desire is that you too will be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.